Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insight that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find information about the Creative Writers Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writers Tool Belt and that it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 118 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt. After a pretty quiet April, May is going to be a busier time for the podcast. This episode is the first in a two-part series looking at point of view, and I'll explain in a moment why I wanted to focus on this subject, even though I've talked about it in a previous episode. I also have an interview with full-time writer and professional globetrotter Tim Leffel, coming up soon and I hope to release that in a few weeks time. So in other news you may know that the Creative Writers Tool Belt channel is up on YouTube and in the coming months I'll be adding to the stock of videos there. That's going to be a gradual process but please do go and visit the channel and check out the videos if you haven't already done so. The Creative Writers Tool Belt handbook continues to sell well and thank you to those of you who have bought a copy. For those who don't know the handbook condenses all of the best advice and insight that I've received from dozens of professional authors, editors and agents from the first 100 episodes of the podcast, all of that material into one book. And this is the foundation you need to improve as a writer and produce great work. It's currently available on Amazon in paperback and ebook format, but I hope to broaden the availability out soon to other e-distributors like iBooks, Kobo, and Nook. And I'll tell you more about that when I can. If you have bought a copy of the book, and you want to do me a favor, I do need some more reviews on Amazon. So I'd be very grateful if you could drop by and leave a review there. Thank you very much. So let's talk about point of view in our writing. Now I first discussed point of view in episode 58 and in that episode I gave some examples of the different creative works written in these different points of view and we also looked at the reasons why we might choose a particular point of view for our story and you might find it useful to go back to that episode and use it in conjunction with this one and the one that's coming next to really get your head around the subject. And I'm looking at point of view again for two reasons. First, I want to strengthen my own understanding, not just of how point of view works in concept, but how it can actually really be applied practically to our writing. And my hope is that as I revisit this important aspect of our work for myself, you guys will also benefit from it as we go over the issue again. And the other reason I'm looking at it now is because so many of the editors and agents that I respect, I'm thinking about people like Juliet Mushens and Ellen Brock, for example, these people are saying that getting point of view right is one of the biggest issues they find, especially for new writers. So it's important. And I think it's a challenge for a lot of us. And that is why I'm going to be spending the next couple of episodes focusing just on this issue. So in this episode, I'm going to go and look very briefly again at first, second and third person point of view. And we'll touch on the fact that third person point of view itself divides into two different options. These are limited third person point of view and omniscient third person point of view. And I'll be giving you all definitions of these things as we go along. In this episode, we'll look in more detail at the limited third person point of view option, some of the challenges of this approach and how to deal with them. And then in the next episode, episode 119 of the podcast, we'll look at third person omniscient point of view. And we'll look at the sort of genres and material that we can use that with and what are the dangers of using it and what tips and tools can we employ to make a success of using this particular point of view in our work. Now I want to acknowledge at this point that I'm drawing on an excellent article on the subject on the Readsy blog and you can find this article yourself online by just searching Readsy blog 
point of view. And in fact, I'd recommend that you check out the whole of Reedsy. That's reedsy.com, R-E-E-D-S-Y, for contacts and free resources to help you with your creative writing projects. I've also used a range of other sources, and I'll be citing these as usual at the end of the podcast. Now, you may know this, but I'll tell you anyway. Professionals in the publishing business, editors, publishers, agents, those kind of people, they all report the point of view is a big deal and a big problem, especially for new authors, either because a piece of work is presented with an inconsistent point of view, so the writer is switching from one type of point of view to another, or because the author is trying to write third person limited or omniscient point of view, and they end up head hopping. And I'll explain what these terms mean a bit later. So first of all, and briefly, because most of you know what this is anyway, let's have a look at what I mean by point of view. Now, point of view relates to the view from which the story is told, and it's divided into three broad categories. The first of those is first person, and this is where the protagonist tells the story directly from their own point of view. The narrative uses words like I and me and my, as in, I draw my sword and I run screaming at the top of my voice towards the dragon. Now, second point of view, which is not so often used, tells a story as if the reader were in the action. The writer is telling the story from your, the reader's point of view. The narrative uses words like you and your. So, for example, you draw your sword and run, screaming at the top of your voice towards the dragon. And then we have third person point of view. The narrative uses words like he and she and they. So, for example, she draws her sword and runs, screaming at the top of her voice towards the dragon. Now, you might be wondering why point of view is such a big deal. Why, for example, is it that when we start a writing project, we really do need to decide on a point of view for our work and then stick to it? And the reason for this is that if we mix up point of views in our narrative, this will confuse the reader and make them come out of the story, which is one of the critical things that we really don't want to have happen. And to give you an example of this, I'm going to expand on my sword drawing running at the dragon passage to give you an idea of what happens when we mess up on point of view. I draw my sword and I run screaming at the top of my voice towards the dragon. You watch as the dragon's great scaly head turns towards you, the gleaming emerald eyes focusing on its prey. She stares at the dragon as its mouth begins to open, the fuel glands ready to squirt the flammable liquid at her. Undaunted, I raise my shield and put my sword out in front of me. She closes in with the beast, just as the jets of flame start to pour out of its mouth. You raise the shield and hope that the wizard spell holds. As she closes in on her enemy, she swings the sword in an arc. No doubt the beast thinks this is another mortal weapon, but she knows otherwise. I bring the sword down on the dragon's neck. Now, this is an extreme example of what happens when you mix point of views. And it's a total mess. The reader is thrown out of the story because they can't follow what's going on. And they can't follow what's going on because the perspective keeps changing. And because of that, the reader has to keep checking. They have they stop enjoying the story and they start trying to work out where they are. And so I hope you can see the point of view needs to be consistent within the whole project or at least scene by scene. So within a scene, within a chapter, point of view needs to be absolutely consistent. Then the reader can follow what's going on. They can settle into the story and they don't have to worry about whose perspective they're seeing things from. And it seems that we have a choice to make with first, second and third person point of view. But in fact, it's a bit more complicated than that. We have four options, not three, to choose from because third person point of view splits into two different types, limited or close third person point of view and omniscient third person point of view. And I'm going to spend the rest of this podcast talking about 
limited third-person point of view. Now, in her book, Steering the Craft, Ursula Le Guin says that third-person limited point of view focuses on only what the viewpoint character knows, feels, perceives, thinks, guesses, hopes, and remembers, etc. The reader can infer what other people feel and think only from what the viewpoint character observes of their behaviour. And that latter statement made by Ursula Le Guin is important. The reader can really only infer what everybody, all the other characters are thinking and feeling from that viewpoint character. And that's one of the things that as writers we need to deal with. So let's have a look at an example of third person limited point of view. And I'm going to read a passage now from George Orwell's Political Dystopia 1984. And this passage is, I think, a good example of what Ursula Le Guin says here. This point of view option shows us the thoughts and feelings of the main character, the person that the author has chosen to focus on. But we have to infer the feelings and the thoughts and the understanding and the personality of all the other characters involved from the point of view of that main character. So in this passage, Winston, the point of view character, is being interrogated by a member of the dominant political party, a man called O'Brien. Notice how, because Winston's is the point of view character, we are aware of his thoughts and feelings, but we can only infer O'Brien's mood and feelings from what he says or does, because this is the only information that would be available to Winston. So in this passage, O'Brien speaks first. The party seeks power entirely for its own sake. We're not interested in the good of others. We're interested solely in power. Not wealth or luxury or long life or happiness. Only power. Pure power. Power is not a means, it's an end. One does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. One makes a revolution in order to establish the dictatorship. The object of persecution is persecution. The object of torture is torture. The object of power is power. Now do you begin to understand me? Winston was struck, as he had been struck before, by the tiredness of O'Brien's face. It was strong and fleshy and brutal, and it was full of intelligence and a sort of controlled passion before which he felt himself helpless. But it was tired. There were pouches under the eyes. The skin sagged at the cheekbones. O'Brien leaned over him, deliberately bringing the worn face nearer. You are thinking, he said, that my face is old and tired. You're thinking that I can talk of power and yet I am not even able to prevent the decay of my own body. Can you not understand, Winston, that the individual is only a cell? The weariness of the cell is the vigour of the organism. Do you die when you cut your fingernails? He turned away from the bed and began strolling up and down again, one hand in his pocket. We are priests of power, he said. God is power. But at present, power is only a word so far as you are concerned. It is time for you to gather some idea of what power means. Power is power over human beings over the body, but above all, over the mind. Power over matter, external reality as you would call it, is not important. Already our control over matter is absolute. For a moment, Winston ignored the doll. He made a violent effort to raise himself into a sitting position and merely succeeded in wrenching his body painfully. But how can you control matter, he burst out. You don't even control the climate or the law of gravity. And there is disease, pain, death. O'Brien silenced him by a movement of his hand. We control matter because we control the mind. Reality is inside the skull. You will learn by degrees, Winston, there is nothing that we could not do. In this passage, we can hear what they both say because Winston witnesses it. We can see what both characters are doing because Winston witnesses it. But we only get the thoughts and feelings of Winston himself 
because he is the point of view character. We can only guess and infer at what O'Brien thinks and feels from his dialogue and from his actions. And it is because of the quality of George Orwell as a writer that we are able to do that. So although we can't show the thoughts and feelings of other characters directly when we use third person limited point of view, we can still show what these characters really think and feel through the perception of our main character. Now here's another example of this. Consider this little passage. A police officer, Inspector Munro, is investigating the murder of Mrs. Brown. Here he is talking to a suspect, Ms. Smith. Just one more question, Ms. Smith, said Inspector Munro. Did you see Mrs. Brown on the day she died? Oh no, said Ms. Smith. I mean, why would I? She never came into the shop on a Sunday, ever. Well, thank you. Oh, but did she? She did come in, said Ms. Smith, on the day before. Yes, I distinctly remember it. She rubbed her hands together and let out a short, nervous laugh. She came in for a chat. A chat, said Munro, raising his eyebrows, waiting for Miss Smith to say more. Yes, just a chat, just about the weather and the village fair, said Miss Smith. She paused for a moment. Well, Inspector, it was nice talking to you, but I'd better be going now. Goodbye. Now, in this example, we don't have to be told that Miss Smith is nervous about something, maybe hiding something. We can infer it from Munro's perspective in her dialogue and actions. And when we make a choice to use third person limited point of view, we can create this effect by showing rather than telling through the main character's perceptions of what's going on. Now, the good news for us writers is that once we've picked a point of view character, we don't have to use that point of view with that character for the whole of our, bo our book. As I said earlier, we can change it scene by scene. We can move from one point of view character to another, so long as we do it chapter by chapter, scene by scene. And here's where as writers we need to be careful, because if we switch perspectives too often and the reader is not sure whose perspective they're in, they will get confused and come out of the story as surely as if the author had made a continuity error or said something completely inauthentic. And at that point, we might lose them. This mistake of switching from one perspective to another too often and inappropriately is known as head hopping and editors and agents do not like seeing it. And if they do, they're very likely to reject a manuscript. Now to show you what I mean by head hopping, here's another example. And in this passage, we have Adam, who is the father of two small children, Alice and Marcus. He is separated from their mother and doesn't see them often, but today he's having some quality time with them on the beach. Here's how the narrative might sound if the writer succumbed to the problem of head hopping. Adam looked out at the light brown sheen of the beach. The crumbly grains were flattened and full of moisture near the shoreline where the water bubbled as it ebbed and flowed over the sand. The kids were about 10 yards away playing at the water's edge. Alice looked up at her father from the edge of the water. She could feel the grains of sand drying on her legs. Her daddy looked sad and somehow distant. She waved at him, wanting to connect with him, wanting to make something better that she couldn't understand. Adam saw Alice wave at him and he felt a poignant sense of loss as he waved back and an involuntary sigh escaped from him. Alice turned to her brother. She could see he was inspecting something on top of a large rock that protruded from the sand. Marcus let his gaze wander over the damp patches and limp seaweed of the rock. Then his eye caught something, a coin. Seeing it was like finding treasure and he felt excited. He looked around and called to his sister. Adam watched as Marcus shouted something and Alice ran over to the rock. Alice looked up just as her brother called her. She could see the excitement on his face, the way he was waving his spade and she ran over. Look, said Marcus, it's treasure. He felt excited and proud of his find. Alice wanted to share their news with her daddy. This was her excuse to bring him over, bring him to them. Alice, Mark, Marcus frowned at the coin and dug at it with his spade. He wondered if it could be 
dug out. Marcus frowned at the coin and dug at it with his spade. He wondered if he could get it out. Adam watched as the pair of them had an animated conversation as Marcus dug at the surface of the rock with his plastic spade, and then finally both of them stepped back. Daddy, called Alice, we found treasure. Adam frowned, smiled, and started to walk over to them. Daddy, said Marcus, come on, come and see. He wanted his father to see this coin and be pleased with his find. Adam broke into a jog to show that he was making an effort and came up to them both as Marcus pointed frantically with his spade. Alice looked at her dad's face as he stared at the rock. She wanted to share this moment with him. Adam looked and there wedged in one of the barnacled folds of the rock, he could see the glint of a round piece of metal, an old coin bleeding its rust onto the rock around it. Now that's exhausting. Notice how the narrative becomes unwieldy to read and awkward because the point of view, the actions, thoughts and feelings keep switching between the three characters. That is head hopping. And here's how it sounds in limited third person with just Adam's point of view. Adam looked out at the light brown sheen of beach, the crumbly grains flattened and full of moisture near the shoreline where the bubbled water ebbed and flowed over the sand. He saw Alice looking at him from the edge of the water, her little legs smeared with sand grains. She waved to him and smiled and he felt a poignant sense of loss as he waved back and an involuntary sigh escaped from him. Then he saw Alice turn to her brother who was inspecting something on top of a large rock that protruded from the sand. Adam watched as Marcus shouted something to his sister and she ran over to the rock. The pair of them had an animated conversation as Marcus dug at the surface of the rock with his plastic spade before both of them stepped back. Daddy, said Alice, we found treasure. Adam frowned, smiled and started to walk over to them. Daddy, said Marcus, come on, come and see. Adam broke into a jog, wanting to show that he was making an effort and came up to them both as Marcus pointed frantically with his spade. There wedged in one of the barnacled folds of the rock, he could see the glint of a round piece of metal, an old coin bleeding its rust onto the rock around it. Now, whatever other issues there are in this passage, having just one point of view makes the narrative smoother and easier to follow. So if we choose third person limited point of view, the challenge for us as writers is to show everything in a scene through the perspective of one character, the thoughts, motivations, feelings of, of that character and all of the other characters. Now this requires skill and effort, but we can help ourselves by keeping the principle of third person limited point of view in the back of our minds and using the techniques for showing rather than telling that I've talked about in other episodes of the podcast. Techniques like being sparse and specific, using sensory description and distinctive dialogue. And you'll find out more about these and other techniques in previous podcasts and in the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook. And if you want to find a directory of those previous podcasts with links to those different subjects, just go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com and look at the podcast directory list. And that list is also reproduced in the handbook. Another thing that you can do is be prepared to edit your work carefully, to weed out any head hopping and to make point of view consistent, at least scene by scene. So today we've looked briefly at first, second and third person point of view. And these were covered in some detail in episode 58. And we've gone on to look at them in more detail, especially limited third person point of view in this episode. And we've noted the problem of head hopping, what it is, what the problems are that it causes and how to avoid it. And in this episode, I have quoted from the following books and articles, Writing in Third Person Omniscient versus Third Person Limited, and First, Second and Third Person, Which Point of View is Right for Your Book? And both of these articles are written for the Readsy blog at blog.readsy.com. And Readsy is spelled R-E-E-D-S-Y. 
I've also quoted from the article, Writing in Third Person Limited Narration from nownovel.com, from Steering the Craft by Ursula K. Le Guin, published by Mariner Books, the novel 1984 by George Orwell, published by Penguin Modern Classics, and The Difference Between Omniscient Point of View and Head Hopping by Ellen Brock in her blog that can be found at ellenbrockediting.com. The passages featuring Inspector Monroe and Adam Marcus and Alice are my own work. So that's it for this episode. I'll be back soon with the second of the two episodes in this series on Point of View, and we'll be looking there at Omniscient Point of View. But until then, thank you again for listening and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com. <laughs>